Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 71, Ellie Quinn. I'm your host, Curtis Payne. Um, Ellie Quinn is a local burlesque performer, and Ellie Quinn is not her real name, it is her stage name. We're not going to tell you what her real name is, it's a secret. She's got a day job. And like, uh, I, you know, I, I'm really coming to realize that, you know, if you want to do a lot of things these days that are of a creative type of passion kind of a thing, pretty much got to have a day job like I do to support it. It's hard to get other people to support it. So many choices, so many things out there. But um, the uh, Ellie Quinn Productions, um, she refers to it in this podcast as nerdlesque. Um, the show that I've seen before was called uh, Earth's Mightiest Burlesque, and it was based on Marvel Comics superheroes. So I met two of the performers prior to the to the show, and there were you know a couple of attractive women. I met at a rock show with a friend, and uh, I was just like, oh, this will be cool. I was I'm, I'm enough of a nerd that I like the cosplay kind of thing, and um, I knew Zora was going to be dressed as the Scarlet Witch, but no idea that there was so much more to it and as we get into it I mean it it's a little satire it's a little performance art it's pro wrestling you know the superhero characters you know they stripped a little they fought um, there's a storyline running through it there's a lot more to it it's very entertaining and uh, really um, got to talk to Ellie more about what her thinking is behind it and it's uh, good stuff I <clears throat> highly recommend checking it out if you get a chance and you know I'm always I don't know. I'm always walking the line with uh, you know, the whole my attitude towards that sort of thing, and you know, women performing that way, and whether or not I'm participating in. I mean, there's such a wide range of that stuff out there. You know, <laughs> I mean, to some people, that kind of thing. You know, naked women on a stage. You know, moving suggestively is it's part of rape culture somehow, and. Um, you know, there's just there's so many different ways that it can show up, and it can be, you know, it's it's the last resort of a drug addict, you know, in a strip club to make some kind of quick money to get high, or it's the kind of thing that these folks are doing, which is owning um, their feminine powers or their femininity and using it um, in multiple coded, braided, layered ways um, to express themselves to make a point um and it's you know i i can tell the difference between all of these things it's like larry flint said you know in that larry flint trial it was like i don't have to be able to define pornography but i know it when i see it and um i never really have i've never been a particularly uptight person about this kind of a thing but i am somebody who doesn't want has never wanted to offend anyone um around sexuality and around sex and around um yeah the objectification of women i mean i don't i don't see myself as somebody who uh you know participates in that but i i've always sort of had a i mean i don't like going to actual strip clubs because i feel feel like that's what happens there obviously and um and I've had relationships, I mean, I've had a number of relationships over the years with a wide range of women who've had a wide range of attitudes about that. And it can do a number on me sometimes because I'm just hyper aware of crossing some kind of line 
with what is okay, what is like what's consent, what is participatory, you know, sexualization of something, and what is um, exploitative, and you know, what is in what case is this woman sort of out of control? Not you know, not it's not in control of it. it, it she's a victim somehow, and what is she doing it? Because she's comfortable with her sexuality and comfortable with sexuality and um, cool with it. Um, it's I don't know. I mean, I, I I've I had a girlfriend recently that you know really wasn't comfortable with me having even um, a, a nude photo on my wall, and I was flabbergasted by it because the photo to me was you know it was a friend a f photograph a friend had taken of a friend. It was art as far as I was concerned, and. Um, couldn't see why it would bother her, but it did. And, you know, I really tried to, um, over the time, you know, sort of contort myself to her standards around that sort of thing. And I failed at it. And ultimately, it was not natural for me to adopt her attitudes towards it. And, it, you know, in trying to, it developed a whole lot of tension and it developed a, ultimately a sort of a make or break issue in our relationship. And, um, you know, I, it's kind of a strange thing that to be such an issue, but, you know, sex is such a, sex and sexuality and the, you know, ex the expression of it is such a fucking tricky thing in our culture and, um, people have so many hangups around it and I have just really always been trying to get comfortable with it and, um, something like what Ellie Quinn and many of her other peers are doing is a great way to, to make that possible and um, I really enjoyed talking to her about it and what her attitudes are toward and I think I just might have learned something so let's get on into it so you were just saying that you're painfully shy even though you do burlesque yes and it, would you say that that's one of those things like um, how comedians do comedy to control when people are laughing at them Probably. It's yeah. probably exactly like that. I have a lot. I mean, it's gotten better now that I do burlesque, but I've always had trouble like going up to people and talking to them. And I've pushed myself here lately because I've been doing burlesque for four years and I've gotten on the mic a few times. The first time I just froze and thought I was going to throw up in the corner, but <laughs> now I can kind of do it, but it's still really hard for me to just talk to someone I don't know mm -hmm. but I am on the stage so when I'm doing burlesque there's a invisible wall that keeps right. me from the people and I don't have to converse and I'm controlling the dialogue yeah, so exactly yeah well there's I think you know one of the reasons that I like to do this is because there is this give and take of being in control being the one who's doing the talking just being the projector and then having to be the receiver you know and yeah. uh and that's where they, I guess, either both of those things have their vulnerability to them, you know, like having the uh, having the balls to get up there in the first place, you know. And like I've stood on stage and played in bands, and I felt pretty naked. You, you guys are literally naked, like yeah. half the time. But you know. I know, but I don't know. I mean, I know that is what it's about, but it's still hard for me to like conceptualize that because I mean, I do comedic burlesque mostly like nerd lesque, which is nerdy burlesque and um you know i just like to make people laugh so i know when people are like oh you're so sexy when you do that i'm like but i'm not even thinking about that right. but i guess it's the atmosphere i'm creating and i know it is weird because it is still stripping and i'm telling a story through striptease but i just i don't even think about that part of it mm -hmm. 
as weird as that sounds. No, yeah. not at all. Well, and I think, I mean, the first one that I've ever been to that you guys did, I mean, I, I haven't been to, I've been to maybe three burlesque shows in a okay. period. And the last two, two were when my friend Cleo did her Daisy Lays Cabaret, like, 15 years ago or oh, okay. more than that. I mean, she was like one of the first people to do it. And she did the old style, like shadow play nice. stuff and whatever. But um, that the Earth's Mightiest Burlesque was the first thing. Oh, wow. I awesome. And I, I, of course, am, I'm a nerd when it comes to all that kind of stuff. And I love the combination of my two favorite things, which is <laughs> nerd stuff and, and women, I guess, or... <laughs> And and I don't mean that to sound sexist. I mean no. I really do appreciate women on on many many levels. And and that was really awesome to see that it was sexy, it was smart, it was funny. You know, I mean Thank Zora you. did an amazing job of uh, yeah. I'm seeing that. She yes, that she is one of my best friends, justifiably because that's how we are on and off stage. Mm -hmm. She is genius and blows me away every time. And it was the world that we created with that, the first when we did it, because Richmond was our third time doing that. We did it in D.C. and then Norfolk. And when I was watching the show in D.C., I was like, this is surpasses anything I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Like, I just had that moment where I was like, holy shit, yeah. we made this? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that was great, which that's the same like formula because not all are like that like we bought in and were those characters what and, was different about that one that you don't well i mean i well i produce every month but i go in bigger quarterly because i do a, like a mini tour i do a dc a norfolk and a richmond date and with those because we're doing in july in a couple weeks we're doing disney themed and we're going to buy in and be those characters like normally at a burlesque show you'll see oh okay this is introducing ellie quinn the duchess of dork she's going to be in this show and that show and it's you know the focus is on the performer we stripped that mm -hmm. dropped any egos not that any of the people in my show had it but just said you're this character mm -hmm. i was iron man i right. talked as tony stark right. like zora hosted as scarlet witch the whole time it wasn't dropped and we didn't even introduce ourselves until curtain call so that's a little that's different like pastiche of these characters and uh, ironical take and mm -hmm. ironical I, that's not even a real word but it was it in sounded Hunting, good and i always say it now because robin williams said it jokingly but anyway somewhat ironic somewhat of a right. pastiche somewhat satire right but also you know legitimately into like you know those characters and their yeah mm -hmm. it gives you just like you're you're watching a cohesive story like everything went together even though we all you know made these acts individually and they were all ellie quinn as iron man or me as hulk like it was still my take on that character but we just came together worked together and made that world and, you know some shows will just be a review and there's no theme there's no connection and that's fine it's so great it's a celebration of the art and the female form and still powerful and empowering, but I just really like, I just love stories. Mm -hmm. So just to create that world was just magical. And yeah, it's interesting, powerful and empowering. And that was something I don't generally do any planning before I have these conversations. I like to just, whatever happens, mm -hmm. happens. But I was thinking about a while ago in the nineties, Camille Paglia, feminist writer, do you know mm -hmm. her? 
she was talking about that probably the most empowering one of the most empowering places for women is a strip club because they are in control they are on the stage you're worshiping you're making offerings you know and she was a fairly controversial person yeah. <laughs> saying that but i mean i get i take her point you know and one of the things that's really kind of paradoxical or ironic i think about um female sexuality and, and the man's relationship with it is that you know we are intimidated by that kind of situation i am i'm shy when i'm in a strip club like i've, I've never enjoyed them and it's not because i don't like looking at naked women's there's two things going on there they're looking back at me right you know and and i feel like i don't want them to see me like leering <laughs> at them you know but also it's this very like you know it's kind of like embarrassing or, or, or lame that you're there to like stare at some, this is a, you know, in a strip club, which is yeah. a different context. Um, but you know, and initially I was feeling that way when I started to watch you guys perform. And then I realized, well, this is like, it's, there's so much more going on here. I mean, it's there, you're using the, the strip as the, is a, one of the contexts, but it's also kind of like pro wrestling, you know, and especially in that, you know, <laughs> The fight, the I fake fights, that. Yeah. and all of that, you know, and get and to play all these characters, um, and archetypes, you know, mm -hmm. they go beyond like the superhero right. thing, and um, it's very, it, it was entertaining. It was also very thought provoking and like I think uh, a healthy thing. Good, <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, that's one of my favorite things to do. Like the first, as far as like empowering and taking characters and kind of giving it a new life. That's how I look at it. So a lot of the characters I do choose, I feel like, like I have a 66 Batgirl act and I like to use this as a reference for like taking a character and empowering it mm -hmm. because she was a sidekick. She wasn't, yeah. she was literally put into that show to get female viewers. And also the TNA quote. Oh yeah. You know. And I mean, she wasn't allowed, she did some combat, but she wasn't actually allowed to fight with anyone mm -hmm. on screen. So I start my talking about the Batman series. Yes, in the '66 right. Batman series, and the theme song for that show is like it. The lyric, the theme songs for Batgirl, excuse me, the theme song just for her is like, "Whose baby are you? Where do you come from?" And it's just very, yeah. very sexist. So I start my act with that song, and the whole part of that song where it's just the theme song. It's like 45 seconds. I just fight on stage with myself. Mm -hmm. Like, and then the, it turns into Beyonce run the world um, because that character is amazing and girls still love Batgirl, but up until, well, even still now, like she's just third fiddle. I mean, she's just not even considered well, a person. Bat girl, not bat woman. Right, right. Well, there yeah. is a Batwoman too, but is you know, there, there is. Huh. There is, because Batgirl is Barbara Gordon and right. Batwoman is Cassandra Kane. So oh, there are there is a gap is, in my comic. <laughs> there is a Batwoman, but still, you know, I mean, it was initially Batgirl first, and you are right. I mean, that's part of it. It's just so I like taking a character like that that I did love when I was growing up, because um, I watched my great grandmother raise me. So I my growing up was very out of time from my age, but. I loved her, and then, like, as I grew up, I'm like, but this isn't really right. She wasn't even a person, mm -hmm. and they never really fleshed her out, and I just, like, I really want to do an act and give her a different life, like, let her be 
running the world. Mm -hmm. The baddest girl out there. So, and I have another act where I'm Velma, who is the least valued member of the Scooby-Doo gang, I think. Mm -hmm. Everybody thought Daphne was sexy, mm -hmm. and I gravitate towards characters like that that I feel like get diminished. Yeah. I mean, granted, with the Marvel show, that was entirely different because they did Iron Man and Hulk, and they have their own, but I just really love comic books and Marvel and DC and stuff like that, so... Mm -hmm. Marvel does do a little bit better job than DC does. I I agree. I, I've <laughs> always liked Marvel better. I don't the comic the characters in DC have always seemed kind of cheesy to me, extra cheesy. Even though that it's all kind of yeah. You know, I like DC Aquaman. better. Yeah, I like DC better because I just I love Batman, but I there are so many flaws. Like just because I grew up loving that doesn't mean that. I don't know things are wrong with it. Mm -hmm. You can still love something even if it's not not right. <laughs> well, you know, and I think this this period of our, our culture, American mm -hmm. culture, I think, I mean, I see it every day on Facebook, so I feel like I'm seeing the growing pains of this. That You know, we've all been indoctrinated, whether you're a man or a woman or white or black or whatever, we've all been indoctrinated. And I think very unconsciously, and I don't even think there's anybody in control of this. I think it's like... Um, it's this weird chicken and the egg thing, you know, which came first that the, you know, the appetite for this sort of, uh, you know, an image or this sort of a, a, a brand or, or this sort of a thing, you know, characterizing women this way, characterizing men this way, or the desire to sell to this demographic and then to make the demographic easier to target by telling them who they were. Right. You know, I don't think there's any evil mastermind at this. I think we've all subconsciously whether you're one of those people that seems to be pulling the strings or one of the people that seems to be a victim of it, it's all sort of just grown up around us sort of as this weird byproduct of the type of culture we live in that is mainly run by, you know, the market, <laughs> you know, what do people like right now, you know? Yeah, and, we, we buy in and I mean, I clearly buy in too. I knew what I was doing when mm -hmm. I produced a Marvel theme show before right. the Avengers came out. I knew what I was doing. But, you know, it's, I agree with you. There is a lot of indoctrination and that's part of, I think that's part of what drew me to burlesque because I was very like, you go to school, you go to college, you get married, you have kids. That's how I was raised. Like, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, I don't care that you like to dance and you like to perform. That's not a real job. You can't do that. That's not what you do. You're not going to be successful. So I'm... My day job, I'm an accountant. I have my bachelor's in accounting, and that's what I do. If I just did that, I would be miserable. Yeah. I have that different side of me. I have that creative side. The first time I saw a burlesque show, I was like, this is, this is it. This is what I wanted to do. And I fell in love with it and haven't looked back, but it's it's challenging. My family is not okay with it. My mom, when I told her, she was like, I – you're you're dead to me was exactly what she wow. said to me. It's very harsh and we talk now but she also thinks that I quit. I never told her that. She just said, "Well, we won't speak until you quit." So my dad mended the fences anyway, but I mean it's just so my mom just very has this ideal of like you're supposed to be a wife and a mother. You're almost 30. Why don't you have kids? You've been divorced. What are you doing with your life? 
it You've makes me already. I have been I, I got married foolishly because I bought into that ideal right. when I was 21 and was divorced by 23 because at least I realized I don't have to do this this right. isn't what I have to do with my life and it makes me really sad that my mom is that narrow-minded because this is a woman that put me in pageants at six months so I'm kind of confused where the flair for the dramatic where she thinks that would have been lost on me. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And it just, it makes me really sad that the, she's that close minded that she thinks that I'm a failure because I am successful. I take care of myself. I've mm -hmm. lived on my own since I was 17. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm, I, you know, I don't have a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm not someone's wife. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. That she thinks my identity should be based on, two other people, mm -hmm. a husband and a child. And that's how her life is. So she's also been indoctrinated. Right, it is. And it's very 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 heartbreaking and that's stuff that you know people don't realize is going on in my head as I get on stage, but like every time I get on stage I'm like this is a privilege. Not everyone gets to do this and I am hurting people in my life that matter by doing this. But I know that's because they don't want to see the beauty in this, the mm -hmm. art that I'm creating. The the amount of women that come up to me after a show and say, I just, that's so beautiful. I, I'm so inspired by you because you get on stage and do this. And I think sometimes I don't fully appreciate how inspiring it is because I've been doing it and it's, I love it and it still makes me nervous and I'm still like fully on when I'm on stage. But I do think that I don't realize sometimes how hard it really is to get up there and do it mm -hmm. because I've been doing it and I'm comfortable there. And, you know, it's just like, especially because I'm not a size zero, I'm a size 10 and I've had body image issues all my life. So that's the other thing because I get on stage and I get to be like, I love me. And I don't care who doesn't. Mm -hmm. If you don't, guess what? You can leave. You did pay to come in here and see me, but you can leave. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's also having other people love you definitely is just awe. Mm -hmm. It just puts me in awe. Like, it's the greatest thing I've ever done is burlesque. That's that, that makes me think of so many different things. First of all, I really, I mean, I identify with the body issue stuff. I've had the same kind of things. People don't think men do, but like I grew up with them oh, also, man. you know, like I was a fat kid growing up and made fun of and made, you know, at the right at the point where I guess I hit adolescence, I was suddenly made to be very conscious of the fact that I wasn't right. like everybody else. And, um, and that, that stifled, you know, my expression for many years to come. And, and I think when you, when you get up on stage and you do things like that and you're not the ideal, you're not that thing that we've been indoctrinated in order to think is that's perfection, you know, um, you're liberating yourself and you're giving other people permission yeah. to do it. And um, and you're making like to extend this like idea of this right and this altar, you're making a, a human sacrifice, you know, to some degree you're sacrificing your initial the, the degree to, you, to which you might have any shame or any ego about this. And it takes a real leap of faith to do that, to step out there and be that person. And you and you really, 
it's easier when you think of it as the fact that I'm setting an example. You know, I'm giving in this situation. You know, I'm, this is not about me 100%. It's harder when you're like, you really get your ego super invested in it and it's about you. It is. Yeah. And and luckily, like, burlesque audiences are very, very different. I mean, you do, like, you are coming in to pay to see that. So there right. is already, like, you have to be willing and conscious to what you're going into as opposed to me walking down the street and somebody thinking, oh, that girl's fat. Mm-hmm. Like, they're willingly coming in to see art. You still get the people. And, I mean, I've had multiple guys come up to me after the show and be like, well, you know, you're kind of too big for that. And I'm like, well, you're kind of an asshole. What? So thanks for your money. <laughs> wow. And, you know, it makes me sad, but honestly, like, most of the audience is more female, or you get, like, couples that come, which is magical. And I actually have um, a lot of guy friends that I've met through this, or, you know, the friendships have grown through this that are super, super supportive. There's ignorance regardless out there. And, you know, I know that everybody's like, oh, burlesque is Dita Von Teese, but you're still perpetuating that perfection she's beautiful and talented and not to diminish her in any way but she also fits this perfect ideal and that's that's not real life and that's certainly not it's real but it's for a fraction well the population yeah i mean she is real but yeah that's not like Exactly. It's, I'm it's, not. I'm not. I'm just. Spl- I'm no, no, no. You're right. Not splitting hairs. I'm just sort right. of expanding no. our, our definition of yeah. these words. Because I mean, that is the thing. This is the thing we collude in. You know that we we use language and we um, agree with assumptions and we solidify these things that they're they imprison us. I mean, those guys that would say that to you are also imprisoned in that thing. They are not right. able to appreciate anything but a narrow bandwidth. You know. And um, and that they've had that done to them, you know, and it's very hard to recognize that because, you know, we've had those bad guys like those dudes put up in movies as, as broad, evil characters who are the, the mean bully, mm-hmm. you know, but it's to some degree, you know, they are also like they've been told to behave that way. They've right. Been, yeah. You know, I mean, you're right. It's not like you can't completely fault them for the culture that they've been raised into, but it's still... It's just the fact that people can't – they just have blinders on mm-hmm. and don't want to realize and open their eyes and see what is outside of them. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, but you can't you can't win them all, and that's fine. And, you right. know, for somebody, like, even even when I have had those few things, which have been very few, in four years I think I've had, like, three really negative comments like that, and it also – doesn't affect me anymore because I've gotten to this place through therapy and honestly burlesque, which I don't use as therapy, but it's just maybe not consciously. No, well, I don't. (laughs) My motivation to start doing burlesque was not to, I have all these issues. I'm going to work them out on stage. I just, you know, I look at like, I do have a body positivity number where I'm Barbie and I come out of my Barbie costume and I knock down my Barbie box and I'm me and I put mm-hmm. my glasses on because, I mean, that's another thing. Like a lot of people don't wear their glasses on stage because that's not that's not beautiful. Like, right. let's not highlight something that is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And you notice mine are fully rhinestone yeah, for all to see. Out. So I love my glasses and. You know, I, I just knock that down and I'm like, I'm me 
and I do it to Katy Perry's Roar because I really love Katy Perry and she's very inspirational to me and I just you know embrace and like I spend a minute touching my thighs which have always plagued me and now I'm just like you know what they help me stand strong Mm -hmm. they help me squat better and Mm -hmm. you know have better form and then I spend a minute on my stomach and yes I don't have a six pack I don't even have a two pack but guess what I'm happy I can do what I want with my life and just because it may not be consciously therapeutic but well, you right, know, it right. Obviously, has the same uh, it does. benefit. It does. You know? It's but, a good practice, you know. To be. I mean, at least I'm looking at it to. I'm not just helping myself. I'm helping other people yeah. because if I love my body that much, like you said, other people can do it too. Mm-hmm. It's not just me. So, you know, and every time I do that act, because on the back I have written "one size does not fit all." Mm-hmm. And every time I do that act, like I get very overcome with emotion. And the minute that I'd stop, I'm not doing that act anymore because that means my heart's not in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that'll ever happen because Mm -hmm. there are mornings that I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, I'm not happy. Everyone feels that way. No one will ever be 100% in love with who they are. They, I mean... Progressing and, towards that goal, I think, is is the is the game, you know. But and, you're you always want to you should always want to be better and want to grow, you know what I mean? Like and, and, yeah, and really the growth is in self acceptance, you right. know. And and the more you are able to accept yourself, the more that you're turning that eye on the people around you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a there's a constant feedback with that, you know. The I mean, I just posted a podcast yesterday, and when I mean, actually, yeah, it was this morning when I do the intro and the outro, I just turn on the mic and start talking. And I'm always as interested as anybody to see what comes out of my mouth when I do that. And one of the things I was talking about is how that, that all the judging you do around you, that's, that's from the internal projector, Mm -hmm. you know, like your eyeballs are, are, are projecting like a movie projector, you know, the way that you, the story you make out of everything that's out there, the, um, the feelings that you have about that's all what's going on inside your head. That's all what's going on inside your body. And if you practice, you know, accepting people and loving people, and, and it all sounds very hippie, but it's it's really punk rock as shit to do that. You yeah. know, to love people that are hard to love, and to you know, to do that, you find it so much more comfortable an environment inside. You know, it's a real. Uh, Maybe it's a paradox or maybe it's, it makes perfect sense because the that whole world, anything you think is the outside world is the construct of your brain, you know. Some heavy stuff, dude. Pass the bong. Yeah. <laughs> I just woke up at like 11. It is heavy. <laughs> yeah, I've been at it for a while this morning. So is – is having a narrative and having because this almost seems like it's got a little bit of performance art in it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what's her name? Amanda Palmer. How she does like the um, yeah. statue and yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it it's definitely performance art. I mean, no doubt about that. I mean, it's still it's still stripping. Like, I'm yeah. not gonna sit here because I know there are some people that are like, don't call yourself a stripper. That's not what we're doing. Actually, strippers make money. Yeah. We don't. We spend money because <laughs> you know people we, aren't throwing dollar bills up no, there on the stage. No, right? we you know we don't go to and not to diminish them because there are some. I love going to strip clubs. Strippers are talented as hell. The pole work is just that's still art. 
Like, I, I don't care. The athleticism there is ridiculous. But, you know, we can't just go buy prefab costumes because, again, like, we're creating this, like, image of glamour. And even though anyone can do it, you don't want to see somebody on stage in just something you could have gone to buy at Target. Because it kind of shatters the illusion of just the art, Mm -hmm. you know, it kind of takes away from it. So, like, we make our costumes, we do our own choreography, you know, we make our narratives, if there are, there, and there always aren't. Like, with Mm -hmm. classical burlesque, that tends to be less narrative-driven. That's more about the bumps and grinds and fans and boas and stuff like that, where, you know, like, neo-burlesque is more... there's more of a tease to traditional burlesque, right? Right. Like, well, I mean, who's the woman with the the big, huge feather? Sally Rand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's still like there still can be a story. I mean, I know um, one of the people that I've I look to as an inspiration, Ula Uber Boozen, Like, she still does really classical stuff, and she always says, you know, what is your story? What's going through your head, even if it's not something that you're actually Consciously made, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like, what's your narrative, even if it's not a, a, a explicit narrative? Well, it depends. Of, yeah. Well, that's what the question is, right? right? Yeah, right. But yes, but yes. Like, I mean, I have, I just now this year, I made a classical piece where it's not, you know, me. It was just me. It wasn't mm-hmm. me as the Hulk or as Batgirl. It was just me, mm-hmm. and it it was because lightning struck and I was inspired by Hieronymus Bosch's um, Garden of Earthly Delights and gossip and the ears with the knife through them. So I have an act to that, and I have these big, huge ears, and it's just classic dance. Mm -hmm. But still, there's the story of, you know, gossip seduces, like I'm gossip and I'm seducing the ears. So there's Mm -hmm. still that story. It's still entertaining, even if you don't really get it, because it's also very... That's that's a reaching one. It's not as clear as, oh, I'm Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk. Like that's right. a clear story that anyone right. can get. And you very know, familiar archetype there. Yeah, and, and, very yeah. very familiar, as opposed to something that's harder. So a lot of these classical routines just have more abstract stories, mm-hmm. and they're they're beautiful. But it is more about, you know, history and the art form of burlesque and you know, the glamour of it all and, mm-hmm. you know, just the elegance and grace across stage. And that's not something that I actually like that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I just really want to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. I love making people laugh. If I could be a stand up comedian, I would, but I don't like to talk in front of people. Mm-hmm. I have terrible, terrible stage fright in regards to speaking, but you know, I just, I really love making people laugh. So that's where I'm drawn to the stories. I'm not a classically trained dancer. I'm not, like, I know where my skill set is. Mm-hmm. So I use what I have and what I know, which is pop culture, because mm-hmm. I am through and through a huge nerd. <laughs> you know, something that occurred to me back when, when Quentin Tarantino started um, making his movies, and especially Pulp Fiction, I've been an English major prior to that and have been completely indoctrinated in the you know the western canon and all of the stuff that people use as archetypes to tell stories all the things that people allude to that are sort of the the deep structure of stories there's this great class at VCU uh called From Eden to the Wasteland 
I think it was fiction into film from Eden to the Wasteland. So it's the idea of the class was to make you literate enough to understand these illusions that were being made in these films by getting you to read Greek tragedy um, or, or the Ovid metamorphosis. You read all of these like classic Greek myths and um, and then, you know, Shakespeare and all of this other stuff and and realize, you know, in all the stuff that's sort of been created by the educated erudite people always have this underlying thing and like people like Hemingway and um was were was using the wasteland for imagery and all of that in his stories and that's Scott Fitzgerald and all these people and that was really interesting to me and I realized the problem with that stuff is you have to have that classical education to get it right and Quentin Tarantino starts alluding to things that are just as powerful but they're all from pop culture you know like when he has Samuel Jackson say we're all going to be a bunch of Fonzies here you know, there's a British guy and a woman and a black dude, and they all know who Fonzie is because right. it's pop culture. And that doesn't diminish its power as a communicative archetype at all, that it is pop culture, you know. It, it's actually better because more people get it, you know. Definitely. Who knows? I don't know who he could have said, but, you know, then I started, wow, that's kind of cool. You know, the relationship between Richie and Fonzie is kind of like King Arthur and Merlin, you know. Very if much Fonzie's so. got the magic, you know, it's cool is what it's – in and that, but he's sort of his advisor and he's this arcane character and Richie's sort of the, you know, the hero kind of coming, coming of age. And, uh, and so like, well, gosh, we could just kind of do away with all that classic, classical reference material and just work from what we all agree on, whether it's Batgirl or the Hulk or, um, the Fonz or any of those people. And, um, and it's, so it's really a powerful tool. It's nothing trashy about it. It's, you know, pop culture is it's still culture right you know <laughs> it, it, i mean you still have to have some kind of knowledge and i mean still it, even though it is pop culture you're still educating yourself like mm-hmm. me to know all the mythology of these characters i've had to read the comics mm-hmm. you know so yeah i agree i mean because a lot of the classic burlesque like there's dirty martina ha- dirty martini uh, has a routine about lita and the swan which mm-hmm. is Greek mythology, right. and you know that's something. And the swan is like Zeus, right? Right. So I mean, that was what they pull from, and I think like with the neo burlesque movement, when burlesque kind of exploded again in the '90s in New York and stuff, they started drawing from what was around them. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, Quentin Tarantino was one of my favorite directors, mm-hmm. and it's so funny when you brought that up because I was like, wow, am I Quentin Tarantino when pop culture with burlesque? Awesome. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is like you can convey a message through somebody right. like me using Barbie. Everyone knows what Barbie is. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to take Barbie, spin her on her head and say, hey, guess what? Barbie actually couldn't exist in real life because one size does not fit mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to just, you know, say, hey, it's OK. It's OK that you're not Barbie. And, you know, as like Hulk, I mean, that routine is is hilarious and silly but the inner dialogue that people don't see that i'm doing is you know the the reason that i took again it was a Katy perry song which i know a couple people are like why are you gonna do that Katy perry song for the hulk that doesn't make sense i was like the song's about embracing the strength inside of you it's sticks and stones um throw your sticks and stones they're your bombs and blows but you're not gonna break me Mm -hmm. the hulk is conflicted as I don't know what. I mean, yeah. he's this nerdy guy 
who stumbled into all the strength that he doesn't well, know how to handle. He's angry as shit, and, and you don't even know. He's always been right? angry. Yeah. Right. He's always been resentful. Why? Because he's this nerdy guy who was probably bullied mm-hmm. and diminished his mm-hmm. whole life. And now he has this power that he doesn't want to use, but he should use because. Through that power, well, he needs to use goodness. it responsibly. Right. Responsibly, he can't just flail and go crazy no. and destroy everything. And that's constantly the thing with the, the Hulk struggle. is all of his friends are like trying to help keep him in line, you know. Mm-hmm. And especially in the Ultimate Marvel universe, I right. mean, they've kind of said, "Hey, you know, we can't even deal with you." They put him on an aircraft carrier <laughs> and dropped yeah. a nuclear bomb on him because yeah. he was so out of control. And, you know, and they they actually show the collateral damage that happens from the Hulk busting up shit that people die when the Hulk goes crazy yeah. in that universe. And and that's a, a, a very important a myth right there to say, we all probably have some anger like that and some rage in us that we need to temper and we need to express responsibly, right. not to flip the fuck out and, right. and bust shit up. Right. Yeah. And that was why that was part of the reason why I was drawn to that character. And I mean, that act like you can watch it and it's hilarious mm-hmm. and that's fine. And you don't have to feel any kind of, social message but it's also like it was also my way of saying like i've had shit happen to me too i have a lot of anger more than i probably should but you know what if don't i shit channel- all over yourself right <laughs> <laughs> if i channel it properly and celebrate my strength then that's that's beautiful and mm-hmm. i can do great things with that and yeah. you know it's that's part of, and I mean, that is part of the reason why most of my acts are to pop music because I like light and fun things and to keep the energy at a certain place. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it. When you think about, like, I want to go back to the Barbie thing for a second there because I'm. I, this is just maybe the age I'm at or uh-huh. it's the, the kind of work I've done therapeutically and the things that I, because I want to be at harmony. You know, I don't want to be the Hulk and I still got some Hulk in me. You know, I get mad out of nowhere and I'm like, what the hell just happened? You know, and I'm working on that, you know, through various means. And it's important for me also when I'm looking at all of the things that seem so awful and oppressive about our culture, mm-hmm. you know, or, or really seem evil, you know, to recognize this was just this was really a, a fairly innocent byproduct of something like yeah. I think Barbie came to be simply because they want to mass produce a doll. Right. Yeah. So they just kind of went with like, well, this is like what was right at that time was the fashion, you know, like these rocket boobs and like the small waist and people were cinched into shit to even look like that. You know, like they, they, everybody was, you know, was in an iron maiden of like um, lingerie and corsets <laughs> and shit. And uh, nobody really looked like that, but they were like, well, this is the look and right. we want to make a popular doll and we want to make one doll. We don't want to have the 50,000 molds for the plastic. So they just were like, they were just trying to make a product. They didn't realize they were making a thing that was going to oppress women. The children were going to go, I'm not Barbie. You know, that, that wasn't anybody's intention to no. do that to anybody. No. You know? And, and it's funny because, you know, I, I, and it's been around for forever, but I know there was that whole thing when they made like a life-size Barbie and said, oh, well, she couldn't even stand. And it's like, right. but it was a doll. It's a toy. It wasn't right. meant to come to that life. It wasn't meant to feel that way. Right. And I mean, you know, Barbie for me, like I got my first Barbie when I was five and it was the holiday Barbie and I still have it. I wasn't allowed to take it out of the box. So I'm sure that did all kinds of weird damage to me because mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to take my toys out the box because they're collectibles. Just play with the box. Right. 
<laughs> so, but I mean, the the funny thing is that even though I know that people have taken Barbie and made her into something that she really wasn't intended to be, and I know that I use her as a medium, and I'm like, oh, this archetype is wrong. I actually still collect Barbies. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge collector of things anyway, but because I I love Barbie, she has a great wardrobe. She's fabulous. I have a wall of Barbies in my apartment, and I still like I still buy them. Because so the harm of a Barbie is what you project onto it. Is. It, you it know? is. It's, it's exactly like, what you invest in it. Because right. I can look at those Barbies, and they're on my way out of my apartment every day, and I don't see them and think, oh, well, you know, that's just a reminder that I don't, you know, right. I don't no, fit in that. Doll. I can't. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a doll. And Sometimes a doll is just a doll. And it is. It is. And people put, I mean, yeah, okay. Do I agree with you should make your daughter play with Barbies and your son play with G.I. Joes? No. But guess what? That's just like what people are drawn to or mm-hmm. not drawn to. And it doesn't matter. If I wanted to play with Barbies and I was a guy, who cares? It's right. just well, I did play item. with Barbies when I was a kid. And I played with superhero dolls, too. I right. had, And they were just as ridiculously idealized. You know, my torso didn't look like fucking any of those guys, you know. And it's funny because they've never, like, taken a He-Man action figure and, like, made that real life and said, hey, guys aren't actually like this. But, you know, it's that ideal, that female ideal that's so... Well, and part of that is a a colluding in a a notion of victimization, you know. There are are active elements of, of oppression in our culture. You know, I, I but I think there are far more that are subconscious that we are perpetrating on ourselves. You know, and you've got the more important thing you got to learn is the the boundaries between these things, between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. And my dad, when he caught me looking at Playboy's uh, as like a ten year old or a twelve year old, you know, he said something really cool to me. He said. The problem with these is it's going to set an idea for you that this is what women look like. These women are airbrushed. This is all super idealized, and it's going to it's going to inhibit your ability to appreciate the real thing, you know. And that's a great message to tell a kid. It's not like that's wrong, that's evil, that is. you know. Just like don't put so much into that, right. you know. Know your your own power with like how much you invest, how much you obsess, how much you you know. Again, this is all your power, you know, it's all an individual's freedom, you know, and if you make Barbie the evil thing or you make, um, you know, Brad Pitt the evil thing or or whatever, you know, these idealized people, that's you doing that to yourself, you know, and we should all be just reminded that, like, there's a lot of other choices, you know, we don't have to look at the billboard, we don't have to watch the advertisement, we don't have to pick up that magazine off the rack, you know, there's lots of other examples around us, you know. Right. It is. It's just what you choose to buy into and what you put stock in. I mean, it's, I know, you know, I know it seems like with that act, like I'm mocking Barbie and I am using it as a parody, but it's funny, like when people are just like, oh, wow, you really hate Barbie. And I'm like, no, actually, I collect Barbies actively. And yeah. they're like, really? Which, right. That story's not about Barbie. That story not, is about your, not, your potential or anyone's potential relationship with that ideal. Right. Yeah. And that's funny to me when people say that and I'm like, that's but you're I'm not blaming the problem that I had on this material object. That's not where that came from mm-hmm. at all. It did come from but a you're society. performing a right on right. stage to like 
exercise that demon. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I get it. That's awesome. I just, I didn't even like, you know, I honestly went to um, the first one of these because I'd met Zora and Deepa at the uh, rock show and I was hanging out with um, Steph, um, you know, uh, what she had the uh, leopard and lace clothing line, you know, okay, Steph? Yeah. okay. Um, I can't remember her last name all of a sudden, but anyway, I just thought those, I did think they were hot when I met them. And then I was like, they're going to dress a Scarlet Witch and like super, so I was, I had a little cosplay, you know, right. fetishy thing going on, but I was, you know, I really was really impressed and, and really like had a great time. I mean, I was like on so many levels, you know, awesome. and, and the sexiness was the least of it. You know, Zora was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Did an awesome job of them seeing that. But um, her costume, like, let's be honest. I mean, it's crazy. very hot. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I have no problem saying that. Like, but the fact that your takeaway from that is that she's smart and funny. I came for the sex, but I wound up learning something. That's exactly <laughs> what I want to happen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're, we as women know that we have this sex mm -hmm. and consciously or subconsciously we're using that to get something else across. Sure. Mm -hmm. Mission accomplished, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, you know, not that I get to decide what feminism is because, you know, um, I'm not a woman, but I, I do think that that is probably one of the most universally effective ways to, you know, to recognize the power that you have mm -hmm. to, you know, to recognize it, you know, I mean, I don't remember who said this. I took a class in feminist literary theory in uh, college. It was a great class. Deborah Rashke was the teacher, and um, I read a lot of good stuff. And it it shifted my – because I had always come from the assumption of what's familiar to me, what's me. And I had been indoctrinated by the um, literature I'd read up to that point, and I did not realize that this is a lens, you know, and now they call it the male gaze. They didn't have that terminology back then. Um, but that this lens is based on male assumptions, you know, and I don't know any better than to do that. And neither did the guy writing the book, you know, he wasn't intentionally marginalizing women. That was just, that was his conceit of where he's coming from. And I think it's really far more powerful and disarming to use humor to like show this other lens and to say there are, you don't realize, and if you're conscious of it, then you will do less of it. You will do, you'll do um, that a man being conscious of the assumptions that are being put out there that, you know, you can just turn down the volume or we can shift the frame, you know, and this is a collaborative effort instead of the, what feels like hostility that often comes out of grad school discussions <laughs> of this stuff that, you know, we are in the streets with a revolution and we want to tear down this patriarchy and tear down and, and any of you who are colluding in it, or, you know, you're going on the guillotine. You know, we're we're all, you know, we're all, again, indoctrinated by this illusion and we all just need to be, you know, humor is a great way to sort of bring attention to it and um, and say, hey, you know, we've all just got to collaborate on changing these things that are so oppressive to us. You know, humor, that we allow to be oppressive to us. Humor isn't as threatening right. either. So people are more accepting of that when you're funny. But yeah. people don't also realize to be funny is to also be smart. It's Although men don't really like being laughed at in a sexual context. You well, know. no. <laughs> I mean, women don't either. That's right. no. That's terrible. That's no. Unless it's joined laughter, don't laugh. Right. Um, but, you know, you have to be smart and aware to be funny. Mm -hmm. It's not something like it's. 
and I mean, I guess this is easy for me to say, but I also learned this when there was um, the main attraction from a New York performer was down here and she was talking about how, you know, it's easy to be sexy. Like that's, that's easy. Anyone can do that or try to do that. But to be funny, you have to be smart and self-aware mm-hmm. and aware of your surroundings and your culture. And it's, it's hard to be funny. Yeah. And I kind of didn't really realize that. I was like, well, I was just always sarcastic. That's how I grew up. Like I read comic (laughs) books and everyone called me a tomboy and, you know, said I was a dyke in middle school and high school and I got made fun of. And now, you know, it's cool to be nerdy, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure that that's a trend. It is, but that's a trend and I'm sure that'll go away. I call it the bing bang theory because I think that that happened when that show really blew up. Well, that's just that but is something that more people relate to, just like is. you know, pop culture, and that what I think nerd culture is now. And I listen to the Nerdist podcast, yeah, and um, I think it is an archiving and a curating of these new um, archetypes and this new pop culture thing, and recognizing just how much legitimate cultural value in is in this stuff that appeared to be initially. Uh, totally disposable culture and culture for people who did not have a relationship with the real world, right. you know, because initially that's what it meant to me to, for my nerd stuff is that as I got fat as a, like 11 or 12 year old, it was, I was a lot more comfortable in my room reading comic books, drawing, reading science fiction, you know, all of that stuff than I was out trying to play soccer with my friends because everybody was being shitty to me, right. you know? And so I went, and so, you know, the, the unfair thing that is done to people who, you know, absorb themselves into that kind of thing is like, oh, you're just there because you don't have any choice. You can't be out here, you know, in this world, you know, and yeah. that's a great um, bit of alchemy to take that and put it out on the stage and then say, no, we're also doing this. We have sex. You right. know, we, like, we're doing all the stuff that, that you think the jocks are only right. allowed to do. And yeah, I mean, it's funny to me that, people. you know, it's. It's so popular now because I'm like, I still remember when I was made fun of for this because, you know, I did it. I was a cheerleader when I was in elementary school and you could just do the, like the rec league and it wasn't through school at that point. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to middle school, I didn't get picked. Are you from around here? I grew up in Colonial oh. Heights. Okay. So, yes. Which that that whole place yeah. is a special bubble. Uh-huh. Um, Colonial Whites. Yes, that's. Yeah, definitely. So I'm blessed that I did not get that in doctrine because I didn't fit that mold. You know, I didn't get picked to be a cheerleader. And it was so confusing to me because I'm like from second grade to fifth grade, I was a cheerleader. And then I realized, oh, that's because they let everybody do it then and your parents paid for it. Yeah. And I didn't get picked, which, you know, was my sport thing. And I still did dance. But again, my mom was paying for me to be in those recitals. And I was, you know, I I really loved ballet, even though I was clumsy, but I could move and like I wanted to do point. And my dance instructor was like, well, you can't really do point. It's not going to be healthy for you. And that was just because I was bigger, which, you know, my ankles really didn't support it. And I did have an ankle injury, but, you know, it was just this whole thing of like, I learned very early on I'm like but wait I don't I can't actually do this my Mm -hmm. mom was paying for me to be able to do this I don't want to be around these people right they don't you know you weren't welcome you were just I wasn't welcome Mm -hmm. and then so you know I didn't get to be a cheerleader and I'm like oh okay that's fine so now I'll just turn to 
the Barbies and I'll make a world with them or my comic books and you know that's why I like everybody would make fun of me because I just you know everything was like Bruce Wayne and Batman and like I would always name like anytime we had to name anything in school like it would always either be it would just always be Bruce Wayne or mm -hmm. Barbara Gordon depending on who what gender it was and you know I was always just so weird because I just always had my nose in a book and you know, I was made fun of, and now I'm just like, but I have so much knowledge mm -hmm. now that, you know, yeah, I learned about the world through books, but I don't really care mm -hmm. <laughs> because those girls were mean. Mm -hmm. Colonial Heights was a very interesting place to grow up, but at least, like, I was aware enough to know that things weren't right there. Mm -hmm. The racism was terrible. I mean, that is a white, it was a white flight city from yeah. Petersburg. That's how it started. And now I know that it, it's like, they don't really call it colonial whites anymore. Now it's, it's not as bad because Fort Lee is grown. Yeah, I've been down there quite a bit. It's pretty, I yeah. mean, it's very um, Spanish. Yeah, too, it's, and, it's, or the bubble or, has popped. Right. But when, because I graduated in 2003, I think in my class of like 200, I think there were two African Americans mm -hmm. in that. And that's terrible. But luckily, like, I knew, you know, because I threw myself into pop culture stuff, which isn't always painted properly either. That's not right. But at least, like, I knew there was a whole other world out there mm -hmm. that I wasn't getting in where I lived. Mm -hmm. So I am thankful for that because a lot of the people that I went to school with got married right out of high school and had kids and everything. And they're miserable. And, like, when I went to my 10-year high school reunion – it was two years ago now. Um, you know, everybody's like, wow, you look so great. You're like, you know, which, okay. And you look like so happy and everything. And I was like, I am. And they're like, well, do you have, where's your husband? Where are your kids? I was like, I don't have That's them. why I'm happy. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got, I'm happy because I got rid of them. But, you know, I'm just like, I don't have that because I don't actually, you don't need any of that to be happy. Right. Those things can make you happy. And sure. by no means well, am no, I saying they, None I'm of those anti things are going to make you happy. You can be a happy, happy person and be, right. right. If you're not happy, those things will not make you happy. Right. And, you Nothing know, external. Work. I'm there and I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't change anything about my story because of where I am now. Like, I know... My best friend from high school, which I love her to death, but she did that formula, and she is happy. That's that's what she wanted her life to be, and that's fine. That can be your happiness. It's not what I'm trying to say. And she has two beautiful, perfect daughters that are just like they're just they're beams of happiness, mm -hmm. and you know it's great. But you know she's freaking out a little bit about being 30, and I'm like, I don't care because. It changes nothing. Mm -mm. Nothing. 30 is the new 20. Right. <laughs> Seriously, because I'm 45 now, and when and I think about when I was 30, and uh -huh. I was so, like, I was a kid. Like, I really had kid head, you know? I was, yeah, it's just funny to me, though, because these people that never really, like, you did this, like, you just followed this path that you were told you were right? supposed to follow mm -hmm. or like freaking out about being I call 30. it institution to institution. Yeah, you know? exactly. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're freaking out about being 30 and I'm just like, it's not, I'm not going to wake up and nothing will change about my right. life. And it's just funny to me when I see things like that and I'm like, well, that's because you haven't actually been able to live your life yeah. because you bought in. Is that what they mean by self-actualization? 
that like you've chosen. I, I somebody threw that word at me recently, and I think that is to choose your own path and to be take responsibility for you know uh, assigning value and all of that to what what your life is, rather than have it assigned to you. You know, and if you said you know by the culture or whatever, you know, to lock step in. It's something I keep thinking of. You have you ever read any Tom Robbins books mm-hmm. at all? I think you should, especially okay. Skinny Legs and All, which okay. is um, he wrote about a woman named Ellen Cherry Charles, who's like a at the beginning of the book is a uh, I guess a college student. Yeah, she's a college student. She's living in Colonial Pines, which okay. he invented to be. Colo- it's really Colonial Heights. He Tom Robbins oh. is from Richmond. He um he went yeah. to VCU. And he moved away in the 60s because it was so racist and fucked up here. He, he basically right. picked a spot on the map where he could get as far away from Richmond as possible, and that was Seattle. So he moved to Seattle. Um, and uh, anyway, the character in this story, he describes Colonial Pines as a suburb without an herb. You know, it doesn't really <laughs> have a city. It's not close yeah. enough to be. Um, and she's the children of really, you know, um, I guess you would fundamentalist Christian types. And she leaves and goes to VCU and gets into AFO and is studying to be an an artist. And they find out that she's draw, um, doing, you know, drawings in the life drawing class. And the preacher and the parents come and they rip her out of the class. And she's got makeup on. And they they take her home and they're scrubbing the makeup off her face with supposedly with SOS pads in the story, um, calling her a Jezebel the whole time. And in this book. Um, he riffs on this idea of Jezebel, like the assumption in the Bible, because the Bible is written by a patriarchal right. um, culture, is that Jezebel's is a hoe, you know, that she's trashy and she's bawdy and all of this kind of stuff. But he goes on to say, well, actually, she was the leader of the Astarte cult, which was being supplanted by the Yahweh cult at that point. And the reason that she was she was a, a queen or something like that, and she was being persecuted, and when the the Yahweh guys were coming to attack her she knew she was going to lose so she just put on all her best shit and got up in the window of her the highest window of her uh, place and said here i am come get me you know and and she just accepted her fate with all of the glamour and beauty she could muster and uh and there's this whole thing in that about the dance of the seven veils and uh um who is it that did that a salome salome something like that you should read it. You would love it. Yeah, apparently, yeah. since that's very, it's kind very, of parallel, close very to home. parallel to yeah. my life. Yeah, and I mean, the funny thing is, like, there's not, and I, I wish that I didn't have to be this way, but like, no one at my job knows that I do burlesque because, like, I don't wear these glasses to work, and they are prescription too. It's not, I'm not fake geek girl, but um, oh, the only person a that fake knew, geek girl, can yeah. you believe that's a. Well, because people will wear glasses now just because they are cool. It's Mm -hmm. just so weird to me. And, but like my best friend from high school, she comes to my shows, all the, all of them. And she loves it. And, you know, she's told me time and time again, she's like, I'm not going to lie. The first time I came, I really didn't know what to think about it. But, you know, now she's like, this is so cool. Your life is so like, I was texting her last weekend. I was in New York performing and she was just like, your life is so crazy. I'm just going to live through you. And I mean, she has like, I, you know, I go over there and I'm just like, your life is so great too. There's differences and just like our lifestyle choices, but there's not a lot of people. And I prefer to keep it that way just because I know 
And it's sad that I have to lie about who I am because burlesque is what I would identify myself as first. Mm -hmm. But I also know that there's some people you just can't tell things to. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, if I said at my high school reunion, yeah, I do burlesque, everyone would just be like, what? You're a whore. Like, you're a whore. (laughs) And it's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth inviting that negativity into my life when I can be around people who do support it. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me feel bad for them. Like Mm -hmm. when I went to that high school reunion, because I was on the fence about going and my best friend was like, please come. You've got to come. You've got to come. And I'm like, but do I? I don't really have to. And I went and I was like, all right, I didn't get made fun of. So this wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But I did feel bad for these people because their worldview was so limited. Like the things that they were talking about, I'm like, I have nothing to contribute to this. Nothing has changed. It just felt like we just got older. It mm-hmm. Everything was still exactly the same. Sure. And, you know, I never really traveled before I did burlesque. And now I'm just like, because I just be like, oh, I don't have the money to go to Vegas right now. I'll save and I'll go. And I went to Vegas three times within a year because I'm just like, now I'll just make it work. There's something I want to go do. I'm going to make it work. And burlesque has just been this like gateway to completely revitalizing my Mm -hmm. life. And it's amazing that that was what opened the world up for me. Well, it seems to me that you have um, certainly uh, expanded on the model you know, and like put a lot of a lot into it, you know, and I don't know if that's a mainstream thing or not, you know, I had, but it certainly seems that you, your burlesque is, is incorporates performance art. It incorporates the sort of clash of the Titans of wrestling, which does have, that has legitimate. No, it does. I love, I love all of these broad types and getting this cathartic thing of the heel and the good guy and all that. I mean, there's somebody who I forget who it is wrote a, an essay about this that really breaks down how um that it's a legit thing you know that and in fact sometimes um well i don't know i'm just taken with how much we we agree with what's serious what's you know what's proper art we go along with this kind of shit and then feel like we have to apologize or use these different terms for things that are just as much valid art as anything else i mean if they are if they're communicating something, they're making connections with, between people, they are uh, bringing into – because the problem with language and the problem of explicitly saying things is not everybody feels the same way about words. Not everybody hears the same way. Not everybody has the same relationship with that stuff. But the pantomime, you know, the show, the, um, the, the play – of that, we that reaches people on a such much more visceral level. Like it gets past whatever resistance you have to language, to speeches, to writing, to all of that, and it's incredibly valuable, you know. And I think it's, I mean, you're doing you're doing theater, you know, you're doing um, you're doing blood sport, you know. It was a little <laughs> gladiator in it, you know. There's at least, especially that Earth Mightiest Burlesque. Um, <laughs> There is sexuality, and there is a healthy uh, pantomime of sexuality up there for both the men and the women to experience. That it's not one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, we can appreciate the female form. We can have our natural response to it without going too far, without an objectifying right. people. There's nothing wrong with appreciating TNA, but don't go to the point where that's all people are to you. That they're just meat. You know, and, right. and that's and that's why we do the burlatic kit at the beginning burlatic. of. 
Yeah, so and nice. that's and that's setting the tone and that's saying, you know, because you know, when you go to theater, you're supposed to just clap. Just clap but, yeah. you know, it's just about just as much about the audience as it is about the performers. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, we set off the show by saying, you know, we're going to do Burlatica like Scarlet Witch brought out Nick our kitten as Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did a few things and, you know, the more you cheer, the more we're into it. It's a give and take. We're yeah. feeding off of them. And you're also saying it's okay. It's okay to be right. excited about Encourage this. this person yes. to do this thing that they're right. doing. Yeah. It's interesting that loop. you yeah. couldn't, you couldn't on the street, just come up to me and encourage me to like, Woo, right. take your clothes off, which we don't really want people yelling and saying, Woo, take it off, take it off. Right. But that, and I mean, you didn't hear any of that, and you really don't. People are just like hooting and hollering because mm-hmm. they're enjoying it. And we want, like, it's, it's well, so usually much. The thing with cake. applause, there is the polite, polite applause, and then there's the kind where you really are saying your offering is acceptable or it's not acceptable. And I think the Burletta kid says, That's not what we're doing here. You know, this is really about. Like what, you know, we're having a dialogue of sorts, mm-hmm. you know, it's very you, much and, and like we want you to, you know, make yourself applaud even if you don't, you know, if you feel shy about it or you or whatever, get engaged. You know, this is your version of the strip right. out there in the audience, you know, take get take off your pretensions, take off your. Exactly. You know. So much. It. And that's why, you know, we do it in which I mean, it, everything in threes, you you it sinks in but that's why they they'll do it in threes they'll say oh okay well give us more because the first time you're like oh okay they say it's good so i'm gonna right. Woo. but then the host will say oh well that was okay but give us more and then you're like oh i can really just yeah. like let myself go and shake off these things and behaviors that i'm supposed to have and enjoy this i can laugh out loud and mm-hmm. not have fear i can say "Woo! like that was awesome play right and that that is the in a lot of ways that's the spirit of him we get so uptight as adults about playing you know and we take ourselves so seriously and we get you know and it takes so much of the fun and enjoyment out of life i just said to myself the other day i need to go ride some goddamn roller coasters because (laughs) i've been going around with this you know it's the word I'm clenched sphincter, you know, because <laughs> I have the same thing as you. I got a jobity job type job, you know, and there's nothing cool about it. You know, no. when I have to like say my title, I just choke on it. You know, regional sales director is disgusting to me. It's not like anything I ever wanted to be. But this is funding the life that I yeah. want to have. And so I need to make sure I come in this room where my guitars and drums and microphones are and just play. You know, I have to play like I'm in sitting on the floor in my bedroom with my superhero dolls and all of that. That has does not have to have any other like outcome other than I'm playing, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't realize how important that is that, you know, we use that word in a lot of different things. You know, that motherfucker can play the guitar, you know, or that's a great play I went to. And we separate those things from we think well, there's one thing that's frivolous and then there's another thing that's um, serious and respectable. And it should, you know, it's all about getting outside of what you have allowed yourself to invest in, you know, or you've allowed to be put on you. When you have willingly just slipped over your head and said, this is my uniform, you know, and it's, um, 
it's really great. You know, that's what it felt like that we were all like, you know, it's recreational. We're all having fun there, just playing around and, and then around something that people take a little too seriously. Yeah. We can be real fucking uptight about sex, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, the it's, I mean, <laughs> we all do it. We all get naked and some of us just do it in front of others and some of us don't. And yeah, I mean, and that's, hey, you always do get naked in front of somebody. Right. Inevitably. <laughs> and I mean, that was one of the things that when I started producing, cause I've only been producing solo for about a year. And then like, I just always do the themes that I'm just like, you know, I decorate, like I put up decorations because I want you to feel like when you're in there, you know, it's not just Gallery 5 where you always go to and you can listen to bands or burlesque and any other of the many great things that they have going on there. You know, I make it like Marvel. I had like a photo booth with little masks that you could wear on and take like a selfie and, you know, yeah. vendors and stuff. So it felt like when you came in that door, even if you've been at Gallery 5 before, you were in Earth's Mightiest. Mightiest Burlesque Show, mm -hmm. and that'll be the same thing. Stepped into a comic book. Right, and that's what I, you know, within what I could afford, you know, I would have huge sets if I could fund it better, but, you know, even when, like, my first, well, I co-produced it, but last year I did a show called Stripalodian, and it was all 90s Nickelodeon theme. So, you can't do 90s Nickelodeon without a big orange couch, and I just made one out of cardboard, spray-painted it, put it back on the stage, and it sat there the whole mm -hmm. time. And had orange and green balloons. I didn't do a whole lot, but it still made it felt. It, I touched that venue. I changed the fabric of what that venue felt like. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize like how much that makes people feel more welcome too, because that's different. Like even just putting up little little decorations I got at Party City or like tablecloths and stuff. It's just like, hey, it's cool. This is like this fun world. It like lightens everything. I think it's great that you're doing that in there because I find that environment and I have always loved what Parker and, and Amanda and yeah. all of those folks have been doing there. And I've always thought it was cool, but I've always been intimidated by that place. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's an old fire. <laughs> it is. And not only that, but I, I talked to Parker for this podcast like about a year ago and he told me that it was not only was it a firehouse yeah. i mean it was a prison yeah some people were killed in there you know like it's got some bad juju you know it's got a little darkness and a little right um you know it's got a stain on it which i think this town kind of has oh. like a lot of shit that's this, yeah, virginia has yeah. a lot of that but i mean that's and it's it's little and it's not that you know gallery five is a great space and that's my home you know that's that's my home as a burlesque mm -hmm. performer. But, you know, it's just something of, like, that kind of gives me a stamp on this is what I do. Like, last year when I did, I did a Katy Perry theme show for my birthday. And I had a huge inflatable birthday cake that was six feet tall. And it was just, like, silly and stupid. But it just made you feel like a kid. And mm -hmm. it just channeled something. And that's, like, definitely I'm working on making my magic castle for um, some – the Disney show is called Some Enchanted G-String. So I'm making mm. a magic castle, <laughs> and I have, like, a lot of other decorations, and I'm very – Is there going to be a Tinkerbell? Yes, there's going to be – of course there's going to be a How Tinkerbell. How could you not have – There's going to be a Tinkerbell. There's going to be um, – we've got Lady and the Tramp, um, Snow White, and Cruella de Vil, Ursula – um, we have some obscure stuff too. Somebody's doing, um, Georgette from Oliver and company, which I was very happy. 
Jay. Like Oliver Twist? Oliver, uh, Oliver the, well, that yeah. Was the, right, the yeah, dog definitely. version of yeah. Oliver Twist, <laughs> The right? dog and cat version of yeah. it. And um, what else do I have? Frozen. Um, I've got Ariel. you got to have Frozen, yeah. That's... Of course, yeah. But I'm, I'm very excited about this one. I know, you know, that's very different from Marvel, but people still nerd about Disney just as hard. And mm-hmm. Disney, I mean, that's we could probably talk a whole nother hour about Disney, but that's all kinds of crazy there. Yeah, I just watched Tomorrow. I saw the movie Tomorrowland, which people do not dig, and it didn't do well, but I really liked it a lot. You know, yeah. I, I thought it was interesting. I just, I'm personally not a huge fan of George Clooney, so I, that was an obstacle for me, but... Well, I think he was the right person for this because he's supposed to be this grown-up kind of fucked-up kid. and Yeah, like, no, I, I did... <laughs> That was a mental block going into it, but I enjoyed it more. I really I liked the female um, protagonist of yes. that. She was really great. And I also kind of liked how the gloves were seemed to really be off, you know, between them. Him and, uh, like, a 60-year-old adult and her. She's actually 25, but I think she's right. playing, like, she's an like, 18-year-old. Yeah, I was just saying. I think but they, they got, things kind of got rough. Like, you know, there was some kind of darkness and, and menace to that. Well, I um, think that's why it wasn't popularly received because yeah. there was darkness too i was surprised when i watched it i was like this is not what when you think tomorrowland you're like oh disney mm-hmm. like you can't help but think that and that movie is not it's got a serious agenda and this agenda is is like you know you may we have kind of come about and become these cynical people that want to tear the face off of that sort of hopeful um, you know, spin on things. Mm-hmm. And the idea in that movie is that you're, we're creating this pessimistic, cynical, unimaginative, like dire, dour existence for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with like creating an ideal to move towards like Walt Disney did or right. Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. You know, it's not cool to be Star Trek. It's cooler to be Star Wars where things are more fucked up. You know, it's not cool to have this utopian civilization where people don't work for money and profit anymore they just work to better themselves but like we need that we, yeah. we need those ideals you to do like, you know you do as long as you look at them the right way mm-hmm. again right you, you, it, you don't let it be nazism right where we're trying to like be, make a totalitarian um illusion falsehood you know it's got to be vision you know yeah. there's, and, and there's a fine line i guess everybody between... wants hope like mm-hmm. i mean and that's like part of the reason that I was drawn to do Disney as a theme because I know people are like, oh, you just did Marvel. And I'm like, but they're not – that's not so crazy. It just happens that – yeah. you guys commented about this, how you had managed to sync Disney, Sony, and something oh, else yeah. on stage yeah. because now all these different films. Right. right. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's uh, just – Disney owns Marvel, right? Is yes. that right? Yeah. Or yeah. it's a subsidiary. Yeah, Marvel a subsidiary. Films is a subsidiary yeah. of Disney. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, that's – that wasn't my – that was just honestly like my themes are like what do I love because mm-hmm. there are other people out there that love that too. Like my – so I have di- a Sum Enchanted G-String in July and will be at Gallery 5 Saturday, July 18th. And then the next like big quarterly one is um, called Nintendo Power and it's a Nintendo theme show. We're going to have a few other little video games, but it's mostly going to be Nintendo um kirby and donkey kong mario and luigi and so how do i know you're nerdlesque and what's the other thing that's 
yours main or uh, the one well, you're mainly involved with? I mean, technically, with? like it's classical burlesque and neo burlesque. But, are, but like, like you know, for me, any burlesque going on at, at Gallery Five, I'm assuming it, you're connected to that, and there's a lot of cross. Well, I mean, we're all technically like all of the performers are like free agents. It's mm -hmm. not like any of us. There are troops not in this area, but there are like certain people that produce certain shows. Like I put mine, which I don't really like, but I just do it that way. Like mine are Ellie Quinn presents some Enchanted G-String. And then there's the Richmond Burlesque Review, which Deepa DuJour produces. And that's a monthly show. And it's just a bevy of you know, the local performers here and then outside talent. So I regularly perform in that show and Zora does as well. And, you know, we're all like constantly cross. So it's kind of like the theater community, different people oh, yeah. are producing and directing and they're different kind of companies. Right. Yeah. So, but it's the actresses and actors are still a, a right. finite group that wind up in all of these different productions. Definitely. Okay. I mean, there's not, there's, you know, a limited amount of people that do it in Richmond and, you know, there's different shows. Like I did one at Firehouse that was produced by Ray Bullock, who's in the mm -hmm. comedy scene here. And I know he's been on podcasts. Um, and that was a villainous burlesque show. And that was a neo burlesque show. Like mm -hmm. neo burlesque can be, is like anything that's not like a throwback to the old days of the classic burlesque. So nerdlesque falls in neo burlesque. Mm -hmm. So we all, you know, work together, and that's that's fine and great. I would support anyone going to any burlesque show, but you know, there's there's just a very like the Richmond Burlesque Review is, you know, it's not one cohesive theme. So there's a myriad of anything like right. you'll get classic and neo and nerdlesque and just lots of things, and it's a review of burlesque monthly, and it's mm -hmm. a phenomenal show. Deep has been doing it for four years. And then, like, Deanna Danger produces, um, you know, so shows at the Bird, which are, like, at a national level and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And then, you know, like, I just – I like to focus specifically on themes and making a cohesive story. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to do that again with Disney and the Nintendo show. So it'll cool, be – Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm very – like, we're in – in deep with Disney right now, and I'm very, very, very excited because it's already. And when is it happening? So it's Saturday, July 18th at okay. Gallery. I will 5. definitely get this podcast up before then, probably. Okay, cool. That's fine, and we'll be. I mean, I guess you I got a website for all this stuff. That we can, I do, like, link I do, to I do. I'll get you. I can get you that, and um, we'll be in DC Friday, July 10th, and Norfolk. We have two shows down there Friday, July 17th. And this costs fifteen to twenty dollars when you go to this, but just think of how many dollar bills you would have thrown on the stage if you were right. at a strip club. You know, it's just right. Yeah, yeah. it's I'm in advance. It's um ten and then like fifteen at the door. Yeah. Um, but that's normally like ten to twenty dollars, just depend. And you know, then we do like raffle and we do take. Tips. And I do think it's definitely like you're supporting. Like you've mentioned before, in order to put all of this, have costumes, to have all of this stuff, this right. stuff costs money. It's not like just some rock band getting up there. And, no, it's, you know. it's, I mean, I definitely spend more than I make, but money-wise, but like emotionally and creatively-wise, right. no. I'm more than compensated that way. But yeah, and I mean, too, also like at Gallery 5, like that doesn't all go to us. That helps that nonprofit place right. run, they right. get right. a cut. Right. Of so you're the making show. a donation to Gallery you, Five. You well. are. And yeah. Gallery Five is just that's such it's an a real incredible great resource. venue mm -hmm. for 
our city like mm-hmm. gallery i i can't say enough good things about gallery five and like what they do for artists and how it's pretty wild that these burners ended up with a firehouse too and, and which came first you know like because <laughs> i don't think was Bur- i guess burning man was around when they started yeah doing I think that so. yeah and that's not really not I your scene no i mean it's wonderful and i get it. i like to stay inside with where i can power my video games and uh, yeah. not get burnt I don't. I don't like being at the mercy of uh, being in, an, in that around that many people in a place that I can't get away from them, you know. And that's the also real. That. That's There's the real nerd thing for me. I need to be able to retreat to my my, my room. private space. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very much that way too. And it's like, and it's sad that I say that, but I'm like, I don't actually like no, to go outside a lot. Yes, I don't like to go outside a lot. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'll get to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm outside. I've been out for 30 minutes. I'm going to go back in with my, my things. I'm going to go I've read something. I figured out what works for me with that is because, like, I've never been for various reasons. I mean, not since I was a little kid. I haven't really dug the beach, you know. And that feels like this thing you have to do. But, like, I used to when I was little before I had body image issues and love riding waves and all that stuff. But the great way for me to interface with nature is to camp because you can, like, go out and you make that little space and you build all that shit and you get to play house and, you know, you build fires and you cook yeah. out there and you just – and it's, it's you know, try it sometime. I, I like camping and it's fine. I just need, like, running water. Well, they have that. Yeah, you, you go know. to camps. You like, can go I can, to places where you can take a shower. I can go, I can go to campsites, <laughs> yeah. and I'm fine with that. But like, I'm Roughing there's nothing about me that is the kind of person that can just like hike up a mountain and just pitch a tent. No, it, right. Which I, you know, that's awesome. One of my really close friends, um, Scarlett Starlet, who actually just produced her first show Friday night at Dogtown, which is another great, oh yeah, great. Mm-hmm anchor of art in this community because they have great classes whether it be belly dance dance i had heather uh with the host of sparrows on here yeah Um, i mean dogtown is just like also um scarlet produced there and she she goes to transform us and all that kind of stuff and and transform us is a mini burner burning yeah and Uh she's like you know yeah you're just out in the woods you don't have cell phone reception you can't like you know all this other stuff you just camp and you're just surrounded by people and i'm like And I'm just like, that. I was like, that makes me really nervous for you. That makes me really anxious. What if, like, I need my cell phone. I need to read IMDb every night before I go to bed to see the news. I need to know who's going to be the next Spider-Man. What if Mm -hmm. I was there and Mm -hmm. something like that happened? Yeah. How, like, that's huge for me. Mm -hmm. I need to know these things. (laughs) I will give you a little bit of unsolicited uh, feedback on that, though, because I'm kind of like that. And somebody took me camping about, um five years ago and you know i was in process of this sort of transformation myself like i'd given up this whole way of life of drinking and doing drugs and all this kind of shit and i was trying something very different and and doing it with a template you know and this template was really i had gotten very you know like tunnel vision about that and this uh, young woman took who was a real probably kind of a burner herself but like from portland and all this stuff she took me to this campground up in wisconsin and um I, you know, I'm a planner, you know, I like to know what's going on, whatever. And like, I just got in the car with this person. And next thing I knew, we're like four hours from like any city. We're in the middle of the woods. I've set up a tent. I built a fire and I'm like, nobody knows I'm here. What happened? Nobody. And, and I, and I, and I actually did have a cell phone and I sent a message to some people. I was like, um, if you're, if I don't come back from here, cause there are bears everywhere and shit like up there. This is like the woods in Wisconsin. Um, 
As, you know, just so you know, this is where where I am, just in case <laughs> some grizzly man shit happens. And um, and then I turned the phone off, and, and the battery died on it. And I went, you know, this is a legitimate reason to have fear. You know, most of the time I'm fe- I feel fearful over bullshit. Like I'm yeah. gonna lose my job, or right. they won't like me, or you know stuff. And, and it's the same feeling to my body as being I might get eaten by a bear. You know, like your hum- the human organism only has one kind of fear response, and it- and we decide because of this crazy civilization we live in to manifest that over nothing. You know, over social anxiety, mm-hmm. and uh, and it really made me like it made me go. This is a healthy time to have an intelligent fear that makes me conscious of where I am and the context I'm in. And maybe to some degree you need that if you're like going into a rough neighborhood, but. It was just like facing the idea of getting naked on a stage. It's like I'm without all of these protections and all of these things that I usually rely on, and I'm just like a normal human being would have been 150, 250,000 years ago. I'm sleeping in the woods, you know, and it kind of made me put a whole lot of stuff in perspective for me, and it was fun, you know. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, to have sex in a tent on a camping trip, you know, and do it all au natural, and I'm not – really that much of a hippie you know more like you know i like playing at that outdoor thing but um you know that's something to get from but i don't i don't go latch on a backpack and take off on the appalachian trail i'm not doing that shit i drive up to places where i can unload everything out of my (laughs) my car yeah i bring an inflatable queen size mattress you know put a contour sheet on it yeah i will do that i mean camping is fun and it's nice to like get out in nature but then i'm like just like fundamentally who I am is not someone who's a nature person. Right. And that, the only reason I share that with you is because I didn't, I thought I wasn't anymore either. I had uh-huh. spent about 20 years being like, I wear black and I sit in bars and I go to see rock shows. I'm nocturnal. I don't go out in the daytime. There's nothing for me there. Mm-hmm. And I discovered, Oh no, there is. I mean, I, you don't have, it doesn't, you know, there's just different ways to experience it in different contexts yeah. for that. And, um, and I was really glad to find that out. So I just encourage you if you take a chance sometime and I'll have to go camping. Know. Yeah. I've... Bring your comic books. You yeah, know. I mean I can just read by flashlight. Well, during the day you can Well yeah, you know. definitely. And you can pretend Again, you're there, just go to the night. Print, pretend you're in Narnia or something. You know? It See, might no. Mr. Tumnus might be around the corner. Narnia is not something it's I'm not saying about now. No. I would like it would need to be like Gotham or just right. Gotham mostly. <laughs> right. It could just be the, Gotham. The emphasis on the goth. Right? Yeah. There's I'm a really cool Gotham. show. I don't know if you checked it out called Mr. Doctor. No, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell on BBC. I have not. I've heard really great things about it. I don't actually have cable. I just have Netflix and Hulu. So I don't know if it's. I'll it's, just check well, and I, try to see if I. I can was get watching it. it on on the BBC America thing, and I actually don't have. This had somebody else's log into the website, okay. but then I went on BitTorrent. I was like, I have to have this, so okay. I downloaded all of them. So That's far, also a thing that yeah, <laughs> it's it's bad. It's stealing, you know, whatever. But this shit is so good, and it oh. is it is a dark like somebody described it as like Byronic. So it has a little bit of that Lord Byron kind of Mary mm. Shelley kind of goth okay. thing to it, but it also has this sort of Neil Gaiman kind of thing to it. Um, it's like watching a period piece in the 1700s in England, but like there's magic, you know, there's this like, um, 
uh fairy character who appears who's like he's he looks like sting he, like in um dune he's like nice. this, you know evil kind of uh sinister character with long fingernails and there's the persephone thing where he you know he steals people and makes them come into his world at night and dance Ooh. endlessly at this ball it's fucking awesome like i'll have to check that out yeah i have no i had read really good things about it i know it's been in entertainment weekly a lot because those are that's like my my Bible. That's your go-to. I just find, ain't it cool news is still around and still looks yeah. shitty? Yeah. yeah. I don't, yeah, mostly, like, my go-tos are, I check IMDb every night. I read my Entertainment Weekly that comes every week. And then Superhero Hype. Uh, yeah, which I am not paid to endorse any I'm of I'm psyched about the Benedict Cumberbatch Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Yeah. I am, too. I am, too. Again, Marvel is killing it. I don't know what it, like I don't know what it is like just it just doesn't seem as in, and I'm going to go see this shit I'm going to be into it but like the Justice oh, League for too, some reason but... is not as cool to me as the Avengers but I watched the fuck out of the animated Justice League thing But and... I mean if you think about it in like the I remember when they had like the awful Punisher movie and mm-hmm. um the Hulk. The Dolph I mean, Lundgren Punisher, the Thomas Jane Punisher. Yeah, the Dolph Lundgren one. And, you know, there was a time, like the Hulk show, you know, that was campy and that is what it is. But, like, they also had that failed Captain America show. Oh, my God. When, yeah. think about at that time, you know, DC was slaying at the movies. Like, yeah. there was a period where Batman was, like, the superhero movie. Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't, and I actually kind of borrowed that from Kevin Smith because I when I was in Atlantic city at the Atlantic city boardwalk con, I got to watch him talk for three hours. And he was like, you know, there was a point in time where Marvel was non-existent for Mar- movies and TV. And yeah. now they've just really gotten their game together. Yeah. And I, you know, my, I will always be team Batman. Batman is hands down my favorite superhero. And I will still go see Batman versus Superman. And, I mean, this is like a Beatles, Rolling Stones thing. I it think because I, I I like Batman, but it's always um, I mean, Christopher Nolan made it really great. Ooh, you know, I think yes, Christopher you know. Nolan is. Hands but Iron down. Man's my sh- I mean that I, well, so Iron much Man, more. I mean, Iron Man. Let's let's be honest. Iron Man is the Batman of Marvel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very similar, short of except for you know, like he he died and he has the arc reactor, so he actually does. Well, have he's some coming kind from being a, um, a, a, a scumbag, piece of shit asshole to like having a spiritual awakening. And Batman's is crazy. He's damaged. He is. He's like he's obsessed and neurotic, and he's he's fucked up. You know. But you know, Tony Stark is also obsessed and neurotic and narcissistic and and, 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 all and that. fucked up. And right. And both rich. of them are turning this to. Yeah, Good. I mean, I yeah. just feel like they're very similar. They're yeah. very, very similar. And that's probably why I like Iron Man as my Iron favorite. Iron really occurred to me that, yeah, it's the same idea. He's a billionaire. I mean, if and, you right, think about it. He can make whatever he wants. There's very fundamental similarities yeah. in between them. They're, they are still very different. So, you know, I'm sure someone may have gotten pissed off that I said that. But I just see, like, I, I realize, like, oh, well, obviously I like Iron Man because I love Batman. Like, that, to me very similar characters but i mean robert downey jr is the best thing that happened that marvel wouldn't have what they have now right if it hadn't it, been it, for him. robert downey jr and um what's his name uh who played his god damn what's the director's name that directed iron man the uh, first one yeah john 
Favreau. Favreau. Yeah. yeah, his vision of it. Oh, and, yes. You know, all oh, that. Yes. And then really I mean, bringing the ultimate universe in instead of the old um, Golden Age. I mean, their directors that they have are just killing it. Yeah, and, and I think Sam Raimi did an awesome job with Spider-Man oh, yeah. early on. And that, that and the third movie was a mess. but They tried to do too much with yeah. that. And, I mean, yeah. And, nope. and uh, what's the other person I was just thinking about? Um. Well, shit, Kenneth Branagh did the Thor movie, you know. (laughs) From directing Shakespeare to Thor. But again, you know, it goes to that thing of they're not that far off at all. No, these are are the same thing. It's mythology, you know. It's like, and and with Thor, it's like, I mean, that is classical Norse mythology. It's fucking Wagner. That's more concrete that it's connected to the classical. But yeah, I mean, that maybe was, yeah, they... Marvel just isn't afraid to take chances. We could if, probably do another hour about this, so we should Cut probably me. just wrap up the comic book <laughs> talk. Um, I'm comic book movie talk, but yeah, I I really um I really enjoy what you do, and I look forward to checking it out in the future. And uh, thanks Thank for you. coming over. Well, that was a nice little conversation, wasn't it? I have gone and switched equipment again and it's causing me some problems i don't i I assume you all noticed that lovely echo i don't know what caused that but uh hopefully i'll get it worked out or i'll just go back to my old laptop um yeah it's always something isn't it so uh yep and i enjoyed that conversation and uh got another podcast in the can with sean mcclain from from daddy disco and uh, bandidos rock world and the restaurant world really had a great chat with him Um, reminds me that even if nobody ever listens to any of these I love doing them I love having these talks uh, very good for me because I spent a lot of time in my job sort of by myself and the brain in the head in the echo chamber it's really good to just get other people's thoughts and perceptions and their lives. Hear their stories and very therapeutic for me. So I enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll see you soon. Until next time. Etc. Adios.